Support for Elwood City Limits is brought to you by Facebook. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter. At ECL Podcast. Tumblr. ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. And Gmail. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. And from listeners like you. Thank you. And my free time. Got to get that in there. Well, rain, rain, go away, come again some other day. Or, hey, maybe if it's rainy where you are, that's okay. Because uh, for what we do here on this particular show, no, no matter what it's like outside, we have got ourselves another jam-packed episode of Arthur to discuss here on Elwood City Limits. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the podcast. My name is Will Young. With me, as always, is my co-host, Lucas Mancini. And Lucas, uh, well, it's funny the connections that you make in life. Uh, Just about a year ago when we were starting this podcast, you know, I was wondering, you know, how are we going to get... How are we going to get podcast art? If we're gonna make, if you gotta, if you're gonna make it on iTunes, you gotta have some kind of, some kind of art. Yeah, and we're not gonna make it ourselves because if anybody <laughs> watched our Zabuma Dudes episode and saw the uh, art that I whipped up in MS Paint, you know, and I'm somehow cut it even for a professional worse. podcast. But it turns out that <clears throat> Lucas is friends with a very, very talented individual, not just in Photoshop, but in, well, I believe what he does now for a living. I'll have to ask about that in just a second, because joining us for this episode of Elwood City Limits, it is YouTuber NitroRad. Hello. Thank you. You flatter me too much. No Seriously. way, dude. You're, I mean, I was just saying to you off mic, I've been a fan of yours for a couple of years, and it's super cool to see somebody from our neck of the woods uh, make it uh, make it onto videos. Our previous guest was from all the way over in America, but no, it's it, it turns out that talent can come from anywhere else in the world and anywhere else in Canada. So welcome to the show. We're happy to have you here. Thank you. Yeah, you really don't see a whole lot of people um, doing stuff out of Nova Scotia. Like, I think the one thing that we're really known for is Trailer Park Boys, and we don't really extend much past that. Yeah, it's true. And uh, I actually have a friend of mine who doesn't like the Trailer Park Boys, and so living here in Nova Scotia. Oh, really? I don't either. No, I I cannot stand the Trailer Park Boys. I've never been on board with that kind of humor. And I I get a lot of people, they try to tell me that they like it because it's very relatable. Uh, if you live in the Maritimes, especially for like people out in like Bumville, New Brunswick, but like, no, I just, I just never really, <laughs> never, just never really. Whoa! Come to me. Never really with me. That's in- that's interesting. Oh, Nitro Red making starting his appearance on the podcast off with some <laughs> regional Canadian beef. I'm sure all our New Everybody Brunswick fans appreciate it. I'm sure and. And, and I'm sure all the Americans are like, I, I think, have no I idea Park what Boys they're talking like, about. I think that's still a thing in the States, isn't it? It. No, no, no. They know they know Trailer Park Boys. I don't think they know. The oh, oh, absolutely maybe, not. Say, no, no, no not at all. No, not at all. It's also a big thing over in the UK <laughs> as well. I know a lot of UK people who... Uh, who uh, quote it and really like it as well. But that's interesting. Really? I mean, I just assumed the de- wrongly, I guess, that the default is that Nova Scotians generally like Trailer Park Boys. But uh, so, James, or I should say, <laughs> maybe I should establish, is it okay if I call you James? Uh, absolutely. I All would right. probably prefer if you call me okay. James. <laughs> All right, I was thinking about it, and I'm like, I... 
Uh, we have a Mr. Nitro Rad. <laughs> if it's, if it's on Nitro Twitter, if it's on Twitter, I'm Nitro Rad. But if we're talking, come to the stage. Uh, not face to face, I guess, in this situation. But uh, otherwise, uh, I'll, James will do. Very well. Good. I, I wasn't. I was. I was like, I don't know if I want to call him Nitro Rad every time. <laughs> do I shorten it to Nitro or do I shorten it to Rad? James, no, you're not. You're not the first one. A lot of people. A lot of people get that way. Very good, James. It is. Uh, so, James, uh, of course, you are. Uh, you've got your Nitro Rad YouTube channel, which I'm a uh, big fan of. You've also got Granicore, which is your kind yeah. of more mega the 60, real channel. Your mega sixty four style comedy sketches. <laughs> yeah, that's where the that, realness. Um, that's that where all channel the, actually that real content uh, kind of with a big influence from another channel called Man with Ten Toes, which was kind of like. Uh, basically what Alex and I were doing the uh, first time I, when I first got an HD camera, just like really, I guess we still really do the same thing. Just stupid, bum-ass, like less than a minute, nonsensical, quote unquote sketch comedy. Um, and that's what those guys did. And uh, yeah, Alex and I really liked that guy and that kind of influenced our work back in the, um, uh, in the SD camera days when we were filming stuff in 480p. Or I don't even know if it was 480p, it might have been like, Less than that. But anyway, yeah. Um, it, then it kind of evolved into, um, as we started putting more production value into, like, the uh, obviously the camera quality got better. And uh, I started learning After Effects in college. I just wanted to do stuff that had, like, better production value. Then we started gradually drawing more inspiration from Mega64, especially when we started doing more uh, video game-related stuff. Uh, especially stuff about, like, Metal Gear. And we did that, like, Final Fantasy video. Um, not to the extent where it's, like, a commentary on, like, current... Not like politics, but news surrounding about video games, but kind of just like something silly based on something video game related. So, James, I love Arthur. What do you think of Arthur? I grew up watching a lot of Arthur. I've <laughs> I watched it last night. Yeah, and you have you watched but, it recently? Uh, <laughs> other other than that, other than that, watching it <laughs> so last night. Stupid uh, question. For this episode. Um, every now and then I'll watch a couple of old Arthur clips on YouTube, uh, cause there, I don't know if every episode's on YouTube, at least none of the newer ones, but, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of Arthur content is on YouTube and I will end up stumbling upon it now and then and I'll rewatch it, you know, relive the memories. A lot of, there's like, a, there's a lot of episodes of that show. Like, I don't remember many of these episodes when I kind of get into that rewatching Arthur, but, um, yeah, uh, sometimes, sometimes I'll stumble upon it and I'll give it a, give it a look-see. Yeah, of course, uh, you know, we're still relatively pretty close in age, so right around that time, Arthur would have actually probably been hitting some of its really, really classic episodes. We've been finding, Lucas and I, that season two, uh, it's a little bit of a hit or miss season, but I was thinking today, actually, while I was at work, of like a an episode that I know is coming up in a couple of seasons that I'm really excited to get to, and that's not an isolated incident either. But before we get there, of course, we are still in season two, and we're talking a uh, brand new pair of stories. And uh, James, very, very good to hear that you're that you're an Arthur fan. I mean, wouldn't have you on the podcast if you were anti-Arthur or anything like that. Okay, so today, uh, I'm I'm glad, James, you're actually a little bit more on the ball than me. I watched this episode about an hour ago, so uh, it's way fresh in really? my mind. Yeah, it's I mean, new job and everything. So that was yeah. the one that was the one spot that I had between dinner and this podcast was all right. I got to watch this episode so I know what I'm talking about. Uh, so we've got first off, our first story is love notes for Muffy. Uh, and it actually starts out at a science fair. Now, uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong. You guys went to the same school, yes? Yeah. 
Uh, we went to the same elementary school. Yeah, and we, the same, we were we I did go we to the same high school because you same went to a different time, right, uh, junior high school. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and I cannot recall any time oh, either no? of us participating no, I've, in a I've science. Never, I've never fair. really done anything. Uh, I don't even think I've really done anything extracurricular like that outside of um, like theater. But um, anything like uh, science or mechanical related, anything like regarding building anything, I never really took much part in i mean i kind of remember back in the day like doing one of those projects where you got the piece of bristol board and we see this so we open up on all the arthur characters and they sort of have all their science fair projects set up and it's the classic like if, if this was going to be like an 80s sitcom someone would have a volcano and it would I be filled with like baking soda or whatever i and think it's got in the piece a lot of, of newer board. cartoons they still kind of show like the one kid uh, with volcano <laughs> That's just one of those staples of like what you expect to see in a cartoon science fair. But in IRL, I don't think I've ever seen uh, a volcano, uh, nor an actual like, you know, science fair with ribbons and first prize. And that might be more of an American Certainly thing. Not. Why will have you? No, I'm in this definitely science fair? not science minded. I was hoping that one of you two would be, but I guess I'm out of luck there. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that I, you know, I've even seen. Uh, uh, volcanoes and science fairs, even as recently as the new, latest Fantastic Four movie, where it's where, yeah, I regret seeing the rest of it, but Ugh. I remember that thing. Uh, yeah, so it is indeed a science fair, and we get a look at a couple of different uh, uh, exhibits or projects, I guess you'd say. Uh, got a kick out of Binkies, which is rocks near school. This isn't so much a science thing as it's almost like an art installation. Uh, it's literally called Rocks Near School. I think it's more like a binky thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I call this Rocks Near School. These are rocks. I found them near the school. Thank you. <laughs> I couldn't help but noticing that Rocks Near School gets two check He's... marks from one of the judges. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's like, yep, those are definitely rocks. They well, look he like is. They were near the like it, their check criteria might. I, I, I'm guessing their criteria probably surrounds more like how accurate it is rather <laughs> than like how um, ambitious the project is. So as long as as long as he's right, why not? Well, he. Yeah, he's got one. Ch he's got one checkbox that says rocks <laughs> Y slash N, and he circled uh, Y. And then the other checkbox says near school. Why? Well, he is N. breathing. Check. Y once he again. is under 10 years old. Check. All right. Well, we're through here. <laughs> uh, and then we get one that is entirely on the other side. Arthur is actually very successful with his. He's got a new vitamin mixture for his plants. And it lo looks like he's turned himself into poison ivy here. <laughs> it's funny, like... After Binky's project, we basically take a jump where, like, you'd think this would be one of those things where it's like, oh, everybody's project sucks. Everybody made a volcano except for, like, the brain because he's supposed to be some sort of technical genius. But all of these kids have, like, pulled off these great feats of science, starting with Arthur, like, engineering uh, some sort of, you know, plant formula that could possibly <laughs> solve hunger with the rate these plants are growing. And then we kind of transition into... Uh, 
you know, Francine has uncovered some sort of grave scandal with how unnutritious the school food Comparing is. Comparing it to a shoe, yeah, a, it has more protein say, like or a, something a in it. But is uh, more, this is has... one thing I always really respected about Arthur is while any other cartoon would just like uh, all these science projects only have to be like background information because they're not part of the main plot whatsoever. But they kind of took this as an opportunity to kind of put in a lot of really funny jokes, like the idea of Arthur being smart enough to do this, like is so absurd while like any other show would like you said it would just be like volcano volcano you know yeah and uh i i i really respected uh uh francine's thing too that's like almost more investigative journalism and we've noted we've noted before james that our that arthur is uh Mm. certainly very good maybe a lot more so than any uh uh, kids shows at the time of inserting humor where you least expect it, sometimes at the expense of the network that it's on, which we very much appreciated. I know um, Simpsons did that a lot since they were on Fox, but I mean, that's a that's pretty unexpected from a children's show. Yeah, absolutely. It always catches us off guard because we're like, oh, this isn't this isn't what they're supposed to do. It's it's transgressive almost <laughs> in, in a way. And then uh, uh, the brain has a basically is it like a self erasing chalkboard? Yeah. Yeah, ex- yeah except Brain he's going to get scooped by marker boards in a the, good couple uh, of years. Those... So I was thinking that. I was that was the first thing on my oh, mind when yikes. I saw that. I was like, "No, we don't need chalk anymore." It's like, "Sorry, Brain, but uh someone else kind of solved this problem." Um one thing <laughs> I always thought, this this always bugged me as a kid. Um in the show's introduction, like Brain's supposed to be the smart kid, right? But um he's the one that sees, I'm sure you know that scene in the intro when uh, Ratburn swims by and Brain thinks it's a shark fin. Yeah. And I'm thinking like what kind of shark is brown and would be in a <laughs> swimming pool? Like you're supposed to be the smart kid. What are you doing? <laughs> Well, we have established, James, in a previous episode that uh, Brain is scared okay. of the water, so he might be thinking extremely irrationally by, like, because I, I if if I remember correctly, like, doesn't Mr. Ratburn, like, blow water uh, out of his mouth or something, and it kind of splashes so. them, or... I, I might, that, that I does, might be that mis- is a good explanation. But, that does make a lot of sense. Uh, uh, well, it's is... funny uh, how you know Brain, even by his name first meeting him, you assume he's kind of the smart guy, but he's kind of becoming known for uh, some different stuff, and especially in this episode because it, immediately after the science fair is over, Brain and Francine yeah. are. Uh, are um, kind of down in the dumps because the final one that the judges saw was Muffy, and she's got like what looks to be essentially like an easy bake oven where she's made French pastries and she's talking about you know fabric and stuff like that. And Brain's just dejected because he he figures that'll win her the whole thing, and bribing the judges will get her the science fair. And so he has he has very little faith in uh, in the judges and do, them doing their job. And so he just immediately plots revenge. And that's kind of the undercurrent of this episode is the I guess the more undercurrent of negative aspects that Brain has. Like he's a very vindictive person, and he sticks to this for a while. I thought it was really funny that, like, they haven't even declared who won yet, and just based on, like, this one little idea that maybe she might win because she's, quote-unquote, bribing the judges, he completely lets this explode in his mind and gets so angry about it, even though he has no reason to whatsoever. It's a... Yeah. (laughs) It's like a switch is flipped with his character, too, like... You talk about, like, a darker undercurrent to brain, but this is, like... 
I, I think that's what they were going for, but he becomes so over the top, and it's hilarious. Like, his manner of speaking completely changes remember, for um, the rest of the episode. Like, yeah, he turns a part into a completely Francine, different person. Oh, I think it's Francine. She says, uh, you're, you're, you seem different today, Brain. He goes, really? Do I? And then he just does this maniacal, like, ridiculous laugh that's com- that's completely out of place, and it yeah, I, I suppose it's not the most accurate representation of Brain's character from episode to episode, but I guess it's just the depths that one man can go for the sake of revenge, which is pretty heady stuff for an episode of Arthur. But well, they're what? They're in grade what? Three? Grade three, yeah. So, s- or th- speaking of plotting the revenge, Brains starts oh, like yeah. <laughs> coming up with schematics about how he's gonna get back at Buffy. His first no, idea like, is no, to, it's like, to turn her teeth her green. He wants sewage? to build a device I mean, and like build pipes inside the walls of the school that'll like pump this green dye into the water and like flip the switch right when she drinks from it, so it'll dye her teeth green. Which and then he then he tosses that away. He tosses that away. He goes nah. This and also simple. also. <laughs> Right, the reason he doesn't want to do that is because it's too simple, <laughs> even though it would involve, like you said, like, completely revamping, yeah, almost like, as the if way the, the idea of turning someone's teeth green, that's like, what's too oh, yeah, simple, too and not easy. the process to achieve that. Well, it's funny because in both of these examples that Brain gives of, like, his revenge schematics, uh, he it's kind of, you notice that he kind of, I guess, overestimates his own intelligence because, like you said, James, it's like he's just, like, too simple, which when you really think about yeah. it, that's not a simple plan at all. And then his other one is... I don't think is, a kid in grade three could achieve that. Certain, Even, like, getting the materials to achieve that. Yeah, that requires, like, building permits and stuff. You have to go to, like, Canadian Tire, um, another thing the American audience is not going to know or talk about a Canadian Tire or like Home Depot to like buy all that where's a third grader gonna get the money for all that and then his other plan is that he wants to build a giant magnet that will like suck Muffy up with like her bicycle but then uh, but then in his schematic it's like also attracts like passenger trains like commuter trains and so he's just like i could i could build a magnet so powerful that it will also cause trains to derail and then he scraps that because it's too complicated i mean he, he really does think quite highly of himself and i think that's a fun way to literally illustrate it as he's drawing these in like stick figure fashion I, I, I well, he is a third grader after all, so I highly doubt that he's like really putting much thought into whether or not these are achievable yeah um you know, I'm sure I did a lot of stuff like that as a kid. But uh, on the other hand, I never, like, thought of doing, like, ridiculous uh, schematics like that in, in, like, with the mindset of I'm actually going to do this. Yeah, it's just, it's just it really is just him kind of fantasizing. But, uh, of course, has to keep it realistic, uh, at least for himself, because he's so dependent on logic. Uh, Francine, throughout this episode, his brain's kind of second in command. She's... Uh, his, uh, uh, I guess, well, she is She is his accomplice and also uh, She's like, he, the person that he kind of sounds off to. And this is where we f- kind of get his, his new cadence as he becomes more villainous. Uh, Francine's afraid that he'll become a crazy guy in the school rafters dropping chandeliers on people. <laughs> and he's like already. I thought that was really funny. Yeah, that's a great line. And he's already tinting his fingers and he's just like. I can't listen to you. I must use all my available brain capacity for plotting revenge. <laughs> which is which is such a crazy idea. Like the idea that like 
He literally does not want to allow himself to think about anything else because he's trying. It's like he's some sort of, it's like those old 90s computer space sims where you have to reroute the engines to the shields because you want to put all the energy in the shields. <laughs> he's trying to do that with his brain and he's trying to do it for the one purpose of Yeah, it's as if his entire, his entire body has become some sort of uh, ship that is only fueled by vengeance, by pure vengeance. He's like this um like this crazy PC <laughs> gamer that needs to have everything closed to dedicate all of his RAM to like this one game. <laughs> the game of revenge. Yeah. Game of revenge. I know. Uh so but of course his uh his eventual solution, which Francine does end up helping him with because she overhears Muffy kind of talking trash about uh oh, yeah. her, um, her what thing did she as well. Say, what does she say? Is like she just walks by and all you hear is like, and that shoe thing was stupid or something like that. And immediately Francine's like, I'm on board. Yeah, let's, just <laughs> let's do something to Muffy. I'm in. Well, and, and Brain, maybe we're, uh, you know, we're dunking a lot on Brain for having such ridiculous ideas, but he might actually be smarter than it seems because he actually goes with a psychological plan rather than technological uh one that seems to be pretty effective they decide to leave a love note we get this great first person shot it reminded <laughs> me of the doom movie for some reason of uh francine with the like cartoonishly like pink with a heart lo- placing the I'm, love i'm note just imagining the Muffy's doom slayer desk. like putting a love note on uh on i don't know the desk the desk of satan or something <laughs> I love how the um the work in this plan is divided amongst the two of them because later in the episode we find out that it was Brain that uh wrote it because uh, who is it is it Fern that approaches Francine is that her name yes yeah Fern approaches uh Francine and immediately yes, after she reads uh, Muffy's note after Muffy believes in it uh Fern knows it's a fake because uh, she says. Um, Brain's the only one who could use regardless properly in a <laughs> sentence, so it has to be him, and that. Which is actually a great piece of continuity because, uh, James, in the last episode we watched, it was a mm. Fern-centric episode. And it was all about how much she's way into Sherlock Holmes and the, the power of deduction and stuff like that. So some good continuity with Fern's character. She sort of acts as the detective or foil to uh, the quote-unquote perfect crime that Brain and That is and, one thing uh, I do Francine remember finally from the show is here. that uh, Fern was always uh, kind of like the, the junior detective character. Um, she was always always into like a detective novels, and I think I do the one that you just mentioned, uh, the last episode. I think I do remember seeing that one when I was a kid too, where it's like she's trying to solve a mystery or something like that. Hmm. Well, speaking of <laughs> mysteries, uh, so when Muffy gets the letter, uh, we're to believe that she thinks it's genuinely from an admirer, and we get a kind of a look into Muffy's <laughs> imagination as she's reading the letter out. She kind of pictures her secret admirer as, like, this playboy rich person, and when R- Muffy was reading this, it made me realize, like, James, so far in the series, Muffy has, like, absolutely sucked as a character. Like, by far, of all the Arthur characters, she's the most two-dimensional, like, not two-dimensional, excuse me, she's the most one-dimensional. It's literally, like, yeah. snotty rich person. But this this little scene here let me know that, like, the writers are totally in on the joke. Because she talks about, uh, in the note, it talks about, like, oh, Look, like, <laughs> I admire how rich you are yeah, and how that makes you, like, Let's not talk care about this about note for a second. Because, first of all, problems. like, Muffy imagines this as, like, this studly 30-year-old guy. And, but, but let me tell you something. <laughs> this dude is pretty sexy. 
I like I love that her idea. <laughs> That's true. I love the that dude, her idea of shredded. like a romantic encounter is that she's like going to her like rich fortune safe and pulling out all of her jewels and like the other guy comes to his rich fortune <laughs> safe and pulls out like a billion dollars and then they meet eyes like as if in the eyes of someone that's rich like that's the only situation that could be remotely romantic the other girls she's reading this to are like pontificating whether the guy is actually younger or older he's 30 in muffy's imagination uh but someone says that like he couldn't be younger because he wouldn't know how to write and i'm like I mean, he could just be a grade two, you guys. It doesn't necessarily mean he's when I was in grade two, I was learning cursive. Let alone did I already yeah. know how to write? Yeah, I knew how to write in primary. Like I will, I will note the best line from this whole thing. Younger. So it's uh, eventually like the narration takes over to her imagined uh, bow, I guess you would say, and he's got you know this very nice lower register, uh, charming voice, and you know he he likes her smile, her laugh. Her lack of concern that comes from extreme wealth. <laughs> That's the line I was thinking of. Yeah, that let me know that like the writers are totally in it's on. It's like, like it's almost as if Muffy's in that love letter, they um, brain described literally every aspect that he possibly could of her. Yeah, character. exactly. Like I, I love this and this, and he listed everything there is. He played, he played her, man, and I, and I gotta, I gotta talk about this. So like right after Muffy gets done reading it, she uh, enlists the help of Sue Ellen to uh, figure out who her admirer could be in the school. Uh, we go to the we. Or Fern, excuse me, yeah. And, uh, Sorry, Fern. Uh, James, the scene that you mentioned earlier yeah. uh, with Brain, he's actually talking to Arthur on the playground as they're eating lunch, and he leads into it with this this line that like I remember to this day, and like independent of doing this episode, and he's just he just says, have you ever realized how frighteningly easy it is to manipulate someone into doing whatever you want? And this <laughs> is where I'm like, this is turning into Death Note. That 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 line really stuck yeah, out to me too. It's 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 so over the top. And then like what Arthur says something in return, right? Arthur's like, "Brain, you're acting kind of weird." And then Brain turns around with like, it's like he's totally changed his personality. Like he's got this maniacal look on his face, and he's like, yeah, that's, "Am that's I?" The line I mentioned Am I? So then he just does this ridiculous maniacal. Laugh. It's again the the depths of madness that only revenge uh, can mine out of a man's heart. And like I just got some serious like light Yagami flashbacks, and I was a little creeped out. I got I got to be honest. I was getting some uh some Metal Gear 5 big boss uh <laughs> vibes from this episode. You know what? That doesn't surprise me at all. Uh But I I do like so like you said earlier James, uh Muffy enlists Fern uh to help her get to the bottom of who her uh secret admirer is and we learn that Fern figures it out almost instantly. Like, Fern is as good of a detective as she's always said she is, but we get this great character moment of Fern knows that it's uh, uh, Brain and uh, Brain and Francine. Uh, like you said, James, just based on the language within the note. Uh, but she doesn't let this on to Muffy initially because she's sort of giving Francine and Brain the chance to come right. clean and, by uh, themselves. Francine is the one who is obviously... 
feeling guilt a lot more. And she has a, a quick kind of imagination where, for some reason, her and Brain are tried in, like, British court in the 1800s. <laughs> because... Because they're because they're both in, in <laughs> on like a literal ball and chain and shackles. Uh, we've got like uh, Binky dressed up as like a Bobby, uh, like a, br- a British like security guard, and Ratburn has like the the white wig on, and he's doing the British accent too. Like, the, yeah, the it's like wig. that's all the evidence I need to hear. Guilty as charged. And uh, Fern kind of lays it all out for them. And Arthur is like the lawyer. He's the barrister with the powdered wig as well. And he's trying, trying, bless him, to do a British accent. And it's not as convincing as Ratburn's. So I just thought that that was funny. But uh, on the other side of things, Brain is sliding off the deep end into literal supervillain territory. Like he, uh, Francine imagines him as, uh, for some reason, this supervillain with a giant head. So... Oh, this this was my favorite part of the whole episode. <laughs> like at some point, I, he maybe he comes into contact with radiation and gets like a an even larger head, kind of like the leader from uh, the Incredible Hulk, and uh, he has this plan that involves. Uh, like a missile or a rocket ship, and it looks like he might like blow up Muffy's mansion. But yeah, it, yeah, this this part's kind of like an unveil, and it just becomes more absurd after the unveil. Or like we get this, um, not like a point of view shot, but like uh, an over the shoulder shot of this rocket coming all the way to Muffy's house. Um, and you're expecting like he's gonna he's gonna kill her. He's gonna blow up her house. He's gonna destroy her fortune, her family, everything she has. But it just like softly lands on the doorstep, and this mechanical arm comes out, rings a doorbell, and it blows up. And she comes out. And she's like, huh? No one's here, and goes back in. And Brain's like, <laughs> it's and he's he- yeah. He launches he launches a Scud missile in order to ding dong ditch her. Like th- the whole thing is the whole thing is very Dexter's oh, lab. Absolutely. Like that level of like I'm gonna use all this technological know how to do this very juvenile thing again. Uh, for revenge, but I think the real the thing that really sells this whole thing is, like you said, Will, this crazy like giant headed brain. Uh, uh, like like you said, he looks like that Hulk villain or like Brainiac from Superman. It it's like he was a me, and you make his face the biggest face possible, uh, his head the biggest head possible rather. You make and his eyes small. His that actually kind of uh, when I saw uh, that, it, the first thing I thought was yeah, the episode yeah. of Jimmy Neutron where they make Sheen smart, but his brain keeps getting bigger and bigger, and he gets that kind of a. Uh, features but this episode kind of that part kind of did give me a jimmy neutron vibe as well overall because like you said it's like all this ridiculous um and super like hyper intelligent scientific technology to achieve a very juvenile outcome and that's kind of what every episode of jimmy neutron is and the thing that i mean thankfully does it you know i kind of said before like this is a little scary because we are seeing like literally the darkest side of brain we've ever seen but uh, the good thing is is that at least a lot like pretty much all of his plans are pretty low stakes like, it's not like he wants to hurt Muffy. He just wants to embarrass her or uh, that sort of thing. So that's that kind of takes a little bit of the teeth out of uh, a lot of what he's thinking and doing. I was going to say, that's that's just definitely not how Francine sees it. Like, because um, what he's doing is relatively harmless. Like, what's the worst that could happen? Uh, oh, Muffy thought she had a crush and she doesn't. Oops. But, I mean, Francine's really kind of blowing what she thinks is going on completely out of uh, perspective. I will say, though, that, like, one of the strengths I think this episode has is Brain and Francine isn't a pair we normally see. Uh, I like it when Arthur, like, pairs up characters that we don't really see interact that often. Um, But the other thing that we definitely don't normally see is 
the pairing of evil brain and Francine. Like, usually Francine's more of an antagonist. So I loved the uh, uh, the back and forth from, like, Francine trying to, like, talk evil brain into fessing up. Like, I just really liked the way their characters went together. And it's like <clears throat> you said, uh, James, Francine's much more worried and guilty, wrought with guilt over this whole thing uh then brain is we get this line from muffy where she's sort of getting mad at fern uh for not already figuring out who the culprit is or who left the love letter uh muffy says if i paid you i'd be asking for a <laughs> refund so we've already gone from her saying i'm gonna hire you as my pi to i think uh, she's actually not giving more, her any um, money at all more than just on a moral spectrum um because uh, of course with the the uh, fantasization she has of going into court, she's also really scared of just getting caught and getting in trouble. And uh, Brain's not concerned at all because, again, he thinks too highly of himself. Because I remember there's a scene when Francine approaches him and she, I think she tries to explain, like, what if we get caught? What if they find out? And Brain says, we're not because my plan's too foolproof. There's no way we could get caught. Even though, at this point, Fern already knows it's him. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a re, it's again. Uh, I don't want to reference this to death or anything, but it just reminded me a lot of just like a a justice planned moment from Death Note. He's so in so sure that he's put enough locks and uh, things and that he's two steps ahead. I guess it's more of almost like a Moriarty moment. He's so convinced that he's ahead of uh, even someone as smart as Fern that he's basically infallible at this point. Uh, Brain thinks that, but eventually uh, they decide that it's gotten a little too far because uh, Muffy comes to them, to Francine and Brain, and says that uh, her secret admirer wrote her another note, which they are completely mystified by because they weren't behind it. And she has determined that her secret admirer is uh, actually one of Lucas and I's favorite characters on the whole show. Uh, that would be Rattles. And this Rattles reveal really raises the stakes. Like, this is what makes evil brain disappear, and he sort of returns to his regular brain state, is because now, like you said before, uh, Will, so far it's been pretty juvenile. Like, we haven't been uh, expecting harm to befall Muffy from all of this. But Francine says that, and this is kind of crazy, Francine says if Rattles figures out that uh, Muffy's going to leave a love note for him in return, <laughs> he's going to pound her. Which I don't think really makes a lot of sense. That like, oh, he's... Not just not just pound, but pulverize Right, that's her. the wording they use. He's going to pulver... He's going to assault this little girl because she wrote him a love note. It's all kind of ridiculous, but of course it's kid logic, so I'm sure it makes sense to ha them. But it is effective as basically a device from the writers to raise the stakes and make brain return from evil brain to normal brain. And now they have this situation to deal with. Right. It's all, it's all kind of gone downhill at this point And we, and we've entered a new realm of things that is beyond, you know, uh, petty childhood revenge. So, uh, brain and Francine, although brain's not super into it, he's agreed that the best thing to do is to come out and, and, uh, uh, apologize, but first they have to try and get the note back uh, from Rattles' locker so that nothing bad happens to them. They try to break in. Francine has, like, uh, tries to get gum on a string, but it can't fit. 
Brain tries to use a coat hanger, right, and right, again... Right. Oh, now, uh, I just want to stop you. Where did he get that coat hanger <laughs> from? Like, he, like Francine's like, oh, I got gum and string, and it's like, yeah. okay, those are things you would have in school. Brain's like, we can try this coat hanger. You would try this car, Jimmy, I, dr- I, 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 I brought from home that I used to hijack cars with. Like, why did he have that? It's almost as if while he was under the influence of evil brain, he kind of dabbled with that personality and maybe broke into some cars while he was at it. <laughs> Oh boy, maybe. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I used to have coat hang, you know, coat hangers to hang up uh, jackets in school. I, I, I didn't, I didn't think too much of really? it. Really, I, I didn't have coat hangers when I was in school. Not even in high school. Like, not in my. Do kids even have? I guess in America, kids probably have lockers. But even when I had a locker in high school, I, I was, I wasn't hanging anything on, on hangers. I don't know. I would I, put I my. That. I would. In grade 10, I used to put my little winter jacket on top of all the lockers because I couldn't remember my locker combination. And people were like, Lucas, your jacket's going to get stolen. I was like, listen, bud, if they steal that jacket, they need it more than me. <laughs> <laughs> How magnanimous of you for, remember, for a 10th grader. I, I remember, Lucas, um, around that time uh, when we were in scouts together, uh, you had a similar philosophy with your, I think it was your iPhone. Yes. Uh, you never had a password on it. And I remember um, asking you why. I said, well, if someone steals it, or if someone finds it and you lose it, they're just going to keep it. And you said, hey, if someone, like, found this, good on them. They get an iPhone. It, I'm not going to get in the way of that. James, I still don't have a password on my iPhone. Whenever I get a new iPhone or a new iPhone update, it's like, uh, you don't have Touch ID. I'm like, nope. And it's like, uh, you don't have a four-number password. I'm like, nope. I just want to open that sucker and have it ready to go. Come find my <laughs> iPhone, Elwood City Limits fans. It's all yours. You don't have, like... You don't have, like, your your bank or social media info on that that you don't want people to take? Hey, I kind of think it's freeing. If someone else wants to take over the identity of Lucas Mancini, I'll go off into, like, the Cayman Islands somewhere, disappear without a trace. <laughs> My goodness, I, ne- I never would have guessed this from Lucas. I mean, Lucas, you're a laid-back kind of guy, but I didn't realize just... I guess the depths of laid backery that uh, I, I think we're Lucas hiding. is just trying to justify how lazy he really is. <laughs> <laughs> I can appreciate that. Uh, so yes, uh, coat hangers aside, they there aren't they aren't successful in getting into the locker in time, and then we get a we little bit of like a, a lot of time on that on that coat hanger detail. <laughs> Uh, and we get a little bit of a Jurassic Park cam, like everything starts to shake, and we get a little bit of a zoom into Brain, and again, the threat of violence as Brain says, hold on tight, this is gonna be bad. Uh, so Rattles finds them, and uh, they're you know stammering, trying to you know explain what they're doing. But then Muffy comes into the frame, and they're afraid she's going to get pulverized, as they said. But then the jig is up. It appears that Muffy. Hired question mark maybe just asked Rattles she or she says she asked him for a favor I think uh, got him to uh, basically uh, go along with this charade so she could draw out the people who made the love note and that would be uh, that would be Brain and Francine so they're kind of found out but Muffy doesn't really hold any ill will I thought this was all in, I, all in all a very satisfying day I thought this was a a, a great. Uh, twist because one I didn't see it coming and two it explains like the fern factor because Buffy's like I knew fern would know so I followed her around so fern never gave up the goods so like fern was a good friend to brain and Francine but I also like the idea that for all of brain's evil smarts Muffy actually outsmarted him in the end so I thought this was really effective as a twist and then we get uh after this 
we get the results from the uh, science fair, which shows that Brain was pretty much making much ado about nothing. If you remember, the inciting incident for this whole episode was Brayden was mad that Buffy was supposedly bribing the judges with French pastries, <laughs> but that didn't influence them at all. I remember, a couple, I remember they, they even, um, Mr. Ratburn starts with a pretty misleading line. He says, and the, uh, the winner, it's, uh, so, he says something about how it was tasty or like how the project was like tasteful. And that really makes you think, okay, duh, it's going to be Muffy. So Muffy interrupts Mr. Ratburn and stands up and says, well, I've been thinking, and this was my, one of my favorite parts of the whole episode when she says, I've been thinking brain whispers to Francine. That's new. Yeah, and he gets this big old smile on his face like, I, I got her. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, even after all of this, after he's learned his lesson, he still has that grudge against her. Yeah, uh, but yeah, so Muffy tries to, you know, uh, actually, I guess, vacate her, her winning because she assumes that it went to Brain, uh, who she felt did the better job. Uh, as she admits, and then Brain is kind of kind of humbled a little bit here, which I liked. He's just like, you know, M- Muffy decided to uh, forfeit her win to me. I feel like a rat, which I don't know if it's that's the right thing to say when you're in earshot of Mister Rat Burn. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Uh, but yeah, it's it, there was actually a little bit of setup here. To, you know, we saw Francine's earlier, which did involve food, and as you said, uh, James uh, Ratburn's line about it being one of the tastiest displays. Uh, Francine wins for her analysis on bad lunches versus school meals, and the episode ends with her her telling Brain, "Maybe you just need to learn to cook." <laughs> and and that's kind of interesting because out of everything you see at that science fair, Francine's is the only one that's kind of like a, a social commentary on like actions and events rather than just look at this thing I made. Right. Like I was thinking that like after uh, she won, I would think that like Mr. Rapper would be like, now keep that under wraps. We can't have like the newspapers knowing that we're serving you kids like <laughs> bad food. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of a, it would be a big news story if this actually happened. Like if a third grader had uncovered that the cafeteria meals were less nutritious like had less nutritional value than a pair of shoes <laughs> i think it's good that they didn't penalize her for that whatsoever yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in the episode because that, that's a good message for kids like if people are are selling you a rotten or, or not good food you have every right to call them out on that and try to like protest against that and i think that was like a, a pretty decent message I think they might be trying to buy her off yeah that's what i was <laughs> that's what i was thinking too will is that they gave her the award and they were like okay now be quiet yeah, yeah, it's hush. It's hush money. Now, now uh, why don't you th- hand us all that evidence and uh, we'll put it in the furnace room? That's also a good point. <laughs> so who knows? But all the same, Francine did win, and Brain ate a little bit of humble pie. Uh, well, on this episode, there was no word from us kids, uh, so we're going on right to the second story, which is decidedly much different in uh, focus. It's D.W. blows the whistle. This one, honestly, honestly, yeah. though, I, I'm pretty glad I lucked out with uh, no uh, word from us kids uh, segment because uh, I think Lucas feels the same way. I do not care about anything any of those kids have to say. So I'm I'm glad I, we we kind of skipped that part uh, and just got more to I, more Arthur. Meat. I wouldn't necessarily say I feel the same way in that like I don't care what the kids have to say, but I will say that like watching them back now as adults, they're certainly they're for a word from the kids for the kids. It's definitely skewed towards a younger audience, but something that has been fun about watching the old word from us kids is one nineties fashion two nineties computers and watching the kids like, (laughs) they're fun little time capsules. That's, I think the value in going back and watching them now. But like you said, they aren't the most entertaining thing in the world. 
Okay, that that is a very good point because um, I like I said I kind of like stumble upon Arthur on YouTube, but since I can skip those parts, I've actually have not seen those parts since I was a kid, and that's definitely how I felt about them when I was younger. So look, if I did like take the time to watch them now, I probably would appreciate them in in the way that you just described. They're pretty harmless as as, as they go these days. They can be cute sometimes. Oh. Or well, you, remember the or, remember the one where the kid with the Boston accent made up the monster and he was like the sling and slasher. Do you remember that one? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'd still get emails about that of just of just like monster killer smasher. <laughs> Just Can like, you like oh, link yeah. me that after after we're done this? Because I really want to. See that was that. like one of the oh, first God. episodes we ever watched. Was it really? Oh, geez, I'm gonna have to really figure out which which episode that was. But I'll, I'll certainly try, James. It is really funny. Uh, yeah, DW Blows Whistle. What I was gonna say is that uh, this episode starts out hot and heavy. Oh man, because this we're we're in, we're into the fate of the furious here i i remember even this intro as a kid this might be one of my favorite arthur openings of all time because as a kid like this was so up my alley like i used to watch all the cgi hot wheels movies that's how much i oh, love that's how much i love like race stuff like and to this day i still get a kick out of like Hanna barbera wacky races or like this the speed racer movie like or like you said the fast and furious franchise uh i just love the idea of like all the arthur's characters having their own custom cars like they're in a mario kart game like everybody had a different car and they're in this like grand canyon like race setting like i i really enjoyed this opening as a kid and i do like how creative it is now as an adult like the fact that everybody has their different car and it's like this short albeit exciting race sequence they almost look like uh, two dinkies that I had uh, as a kid, so I really appreciated that too. Uh, Lucas, you mentioned Mario Kart, but uh, you know, as they're going along, it's so what it is? It's Arthur and the Brain in one kind of uh, truck at racing Francine and Muffy across this uh, race course, but it has a few like uh, dip, dips and turns. Almost looks kind of desert themed at times and there's like one where Fran there's a term where Francie and Muffy like almost run afoul of an elephant it reminded me a lot more of Diddy Kong Racing or now that you say that Cruise in USA gotta watch out for those elephants am I right the ele I've never actually uh, played Cruise in USA but that, I was that, I was that, definitely that, getting more of a Diddy Kong Racing feel than a Mario Kart in, feel in Cruise in USA the elephants will poop on your windshield ew that sounds like something that was made in the 90s <laughs> Uh, so, uh, as this, as this race goes along, eventually, uh, Francine and Muffy, uh, kind of spin out a little bit and Arthur and Brain are getting ahead, but they get pulled over by a police officer on a motorcycle, which turns out to be, uh, DW and they're pulled over, which I thought was the wrong move. Arthur pulls over before, as they're like within like m just meters of the finish line. And I was like, just pull over after the finish line. <laughs> like I don't see I really don't see what the problem was here but he abides by the law and uh DW kind of writes him up for you know like flashing lights uh like numbers on the side of the van and Arthur's like but this is a race course and then it just Oh cuts yeah yeah she says the numbers are too distracting like all of these really arbitrary things that you would never have to worry about in a race <laughs> and what kind of Wait just wait wait like, police cars are in a like I, I'm imagining like a NASA racetrack, not a NASA NASCAR. <laughs> NASA racetrack. That sounds awesome. But a, a NASCAR racetrack. Like, can you imagine if a police motorcycle pulled into that and started pulling over these race cars? Now wait a minute. Maybe maybe I just reasons. wasn't paying attention. But does she not write them up for speeding? Does she like write them up for like the numbers and the lights? She doesn't mention like they were going too fast. 
Oh, I don't, I don't know. Re- That'd be really funny, though. Yeah, maybe she does throw that in there, but I... Uh, Gee, I only watched it an hour ago. You'd think I'd remember. Uh, but we get a cut from Arthur's like face saying, this is a race course. And then immediately to him in the brain, again, like in the in the striped prison uniforms, being put behind bars. <laughs> and with DW walking away going, and obstructing justice. <laughs> that was a really good line. I really like that. And so the whole thing is that uh, Brain's like, I never knew your sister could be so strict. And Arthur's like, yeah, sometimes she gets a little carried away which is kind of a hint for the episode ahead. Uh, we do start off the actual episode with DW, who is at the library getting a talk on safety from one firefighter, Officer Safety. Yeah, okay, so... If that is, if that is his real lots name. Lots of questions here, right from the jump. One, I highly doubt this gentleman's God-given name is Safety. I, I, I think that's one suspect. Two... He's a firefighter, yet they keep calling him Officer Safety. Like, I don't know if they just didn't want to have two scenes with, like, a cop in a row. uh, Or they needed him to be a firefighter for the end of the episode when he shows up again. But, like, why is he Officer Safety? Why is he Captain Safety? Like, something that... Yeah, I feel like it definitely sounds like a road bump that would have come come from the writing process. Because they probably realized uh, they need that character to be a firefighter. So in the script, they probably called him Officer Safety with the idea that he'll be a police officer. But later on, they're like, oh, wait, this guy needs to be a firefighter so he can, like, get DW out of the tree, which is something that happens, like, towards the end. So that probably was a change that was made in the animation process. That would be my guess. Maybe that's true. I never really thought about that. I just figured Officer Safety kind of rolled off the tongue a little better, although Captain Safety, not a bad name either. Or uh, maybe Deputy Safety. That's okay. a little harder to say. Though. All right. Well, uh, I like that one too. Um, so what he do- what he does after his safety talk is that he gives all of these kids uh, a whistle to wear around their necks, which, like, it, giving a child a whistle is like giving the Joker a loaded gun. <laughs> like you you know what's you know what's gonna happen from this, and you Wait, giving no DW a whistle, giving DW a whistle, that's like giving the Joker like a nuke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just bad news ahead for everybody. And she kind of takes this a little bit too much to heart. And she imagines herself being dubbed Princess of Safety in, in like this dream sequence where she's in like a medieval castle. And, and she's and, the safety uh, pony. And I guess, uh, <clears throat> what, what would this be? Bishop Safety uh, gives her uh, her very own safety pony, which is just hideous oh. i remember like um this that's something that always struck me as strange as a kid dw always fantasizes about getting a pony and i would always see these tv shows that depict young girls wanting a pony but i didn't know anybody who wanted a pony like neither of my sisters wanted a pony like no girls i knew at school wanted a pony like i don't know what was with like cartoon girls and ponies hmm that's interesting. I, I mean, it's like I, I, it's like Jer- I couldn't tell you. I'm a little bit outside of the gender. It's like Jerry Seinfeld said. I hated any kid who had a pony. And the other lady, <laughs> and the what does the woman say? She's like, I had a pony. What's wrong with having a pony? Jerry's like, I, I remember that. How was I supposed to know she had a pony? <laughs> uh, yeah, so DW is very much emboldened by this new task to be, mm. you know, as safe as possible and help other people be safe. DW has a very Judge Dredd like mentality when it comes to <laughs> enforcing safety. You know what I mean? <laughs> 
I'm sorry, I didn't expect to be talking about <laughs> Judge Dredd on this Arthur podcast. Listen, but this, you're, to- DW, you're totally right. DW Safety Whistle is asking the big questions, like, how much safety until you lose freedom? What? What's? How much safety is enough safety? You know what I mean? So pretty yeah, soon- I remember there's a part when... Uh, yeah, apart when her parents even say, like, uh, DW, it's good that you're helping people be safe, but th- that's one thing, and being a tattletale, oh, well, that's another thing. Well, I have some stuff to say about that. We'll get to that in a second. First <clears throat> of all, though, we see DW actually use her whistle for good when she sees Matthew, and, and part of my French, I'm going to uh, pull a phrase from James here, Matthew's bum ass waddling into traffic <laughs> this little kid she saves his freaking life he was gonna get killed he was yes. gonna get he was gonna get what what do they say pulverized <laughs> by that car to say the least and this is the one thing of just like dw got it right she got it way right using the whistle once and so now it's that much harder to come down on her when she uses it much more frivolously later on because it's like well you never know she could save another kid yeah that was a good uh really good excuse as to why um arthur's parents are both so lenient um they're they're so hesitant to get irritated with it because you know literally just because of that one time Right, and I mean, they're pretty lenient with DW where they shouldn't be, but this one's at least a little bit more understandable. Um, So it goes back to the Reed house where Arthur and the Brain are making a a soapbox racer. A boxcar, yeah. Uh, They're making it for a race that's coming up. And uh, DW kind of gets in Arthur's face a little bit by saying that the cart doesn't have seatbelts, which, again, Mom says is actually not a bad... uh, not not a bad uh, a point. So hopefully they can uh, put some in. Uh, the Ratburn Rally is what they're getting ready for. I remember the first wonder- thing. Uh, uh, the first thing DW says when she sees the car is she says it looks like a pile of junk with wheels. And Arthur gets really mad. Like he is suddenly he is uh, from the get go. He has no reason to take anything DW says into account. Um, because the first thing she does is just straight up just rip it up. And then she makes like a decent point. And Arthur has all the more reason to kind of be a little, like, sour about that, just because she was Mm. just so rude about it. Now, in DW's defense, James, they did make it out of a trash can. Well, yeah, it does look like a pile of junk. (laughs) She's right, it does look like a pile of junk with wheels, but you're not going to say that to somebody. That's just me. That's true. That is rude. Unless, like you said before, they're making like a Sesame Street cart racer. It does look like what Oscar the Grouch's vehicle. Yeah, well, I'm not be. like gonna go up to a hobo and say you look like a hobo. Like he knows that. You don't need to be. You don't need to do that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it's it, it's hard. It's it, it can never. I guess in DW's eyes, it can never rise above the status of a mere garbage can on wheels, <laughs> which Arthur is fighting hard to try and do. Uh. That night, Arthur is in the bathtub. First of all, before we get to what actually happens in this scene, Arthur's playing with a couple of his dinky cars in the uh, in the bathtub. Playing with your toys in the bathtub, not a great idea. I remember I saw this when I was a kid, and I, I was like, oh, playing with my toys in the bath like is probably the best time ever. And then it just got my toys wet, and I was like, yeah, oh, this isn't I've, fun. I don't want I don't want these toys I to get that wet. that was strange that he was playing with them. Um, because when I was a little kid, I had bath toys. Like, I had a rubber... I, I literally yeah, had the classic yeah, rubber duck, and I had, like, this Sesame Street uh, a wheel thing where, like, you put the wheel by the tap, and then the tap would spin the wheel. 
And so I like I had bath toys and I remember seeing cartoon children playing with their normal toys in the bathtub. Like even as a kid, that was just such a foreign concept to me. I just thought that was like really strange. I liked what, yeah, me, how me Arthur was like, he's like speaking to himself in these little like acting out voices. And it's like, he's acting out death race 2000 or something in his <laughs> bathtub. Cause he's like, the cars are like crashing into each other. And he's like, Oh no, the bubbles. Like for some reason. Oh no. Look at all those bubbles. Yeah. Glub, glub, glub. His, the driver of like one of the cars gets the bends or something. Like it's very grotesque. What's happening in his imagination. But this speaking is where. Of, uh, speaking of, not to interrupt you, but speaking of grotesque, one of the first things I noticed is that the, the water and the bubbles are both brown. Yeah. What did he oh. do to that tub? I thought, hmm, maybe, maybe it was my yeah. monitor, or maybe I'm colorblind, but I thought they were more of a pinkish hue. But maybe Arthur's buying one of those crazy lush bath bombs that are like brown, so maybe that's why it's like it's that a color. like chocolates, chocolate scented or something. Hmm. <clears throat> so this is this is where things start to take a turn. Uh, up to this point, DW has made basically she saved a really dumb kid's life from waddling into traffic, uh, and she's also made some pretty like you know. Uh, well thought off safety concern, well thought out safety concerns regarding Arthur's uh, boxcar not having seatbelts. But this is where she starts to go mad with power, a la Judge Dredd, where she starts to like. Arthur could hear from the bathroom DW blowing the whistle incessantly at things that really don't need to have a whistle blowed at them. Uh, Arthur's mom is reading a magazine without gloves, and so she's saying that's not safe. She's going to get a paper cut. There's a bunch of other things that she keeps blowing the whistle the, at. She says the one that... Thing, uh, the one thing that I remember specifically is that Arthur even, like, um, criticizes DW for saying this, is uh, she said something about Pal not using the hand railing when he went down the stairs. Like, like Pal's a dog. He doesn't have hands. He can't do that. Uh, Lucas, your judge, I mean, your Judge Dredd comparison is pretty much spot on, but at this point, DW is becoming more like Judge Death, yeah. where it's like, living is unsafe, therefore all <laughs> life is unsafe, and she's blowing the whistle at everything. She even blows the whistle on Arthur in the bathtub because he's not wearing a personal flotation yeah. device. Oh my lord. The W, and Photoshop a DW <clears throat> with the Judge Dredd helmet, she, I am the law. I could do that, that could be like the thumbnail. <laughs> That would be pretty easy to oh, do. Dude. Oh, dude, I would love it. I would absolutely love it. I'll get on that it. right after this. Uh... Please and thank you. Uh, yeah, so it turns out that not just the Reed family are being terrorized by DW's whistling. Ar Arthur's friends are uh, getting the wrong end of the whistle as well. Uh, Muffy, uh, I believe she said that uh, DW told her that long hair is like uns uh, like a what was it? Some sort of hazard. Yeah, long hair is unsafe. My favorite was Binky's, who, oh my god, I love Binky so much. Binky's like, yeah, I got in trouble for saying hi to her. She said I shouldn't talk to strangers, <laughs> which I think it's so genius that they didn't show us this scene. It lets our imagination fill in the blanks, because in my head, like, this interaction is just so funny. Like, Binky walking down the street being like, hi, DW, and DW's like, you cannot talk to me. Do not talk to strangers. <laughs> she, like, blows the whistle at him. Like, it's just, it's funny. It, it's funny to think about. Yeah, and you're right. That's that is all it needs. Also, uh, they're talking about this while building an elaborate domino installation. You know, like you do with your friends, I suppose. Brain on uh, uh, brain keeps his vengeful streak going because he's the one what comes up who comes up with the idea of catching DW in the act. You're right. I didn't. I didn't realize un that. Unsafe. Yeah. Listen, listen. He's got to get it out somehow. 
and this is this is a safe, a relatively safe way to Brain do it. It might just be tainted for the rest of the series. Oh no! Like, like this is going to color all of our future interactions with the brain, but uh, we'll have to keep it in mind. Um, yeah, they uh, so they set up an elaborate sting to catch DW, which involves them at like certain points and communicating through bionic bunny walkie talkies. That, that, that was a little uh, consistency I always loved is that they always use those like big clunky bionic, but specifically the bionic bunny walkie talkies anytime they need to like do something like that. Like and, every and- episode. And the Bionic Bunny binoculars, which we've seen <clears throat> that, in a couple episodes as well. Uh, we get some fake James Bond music uh, to open mm. up this sting. And then also, you mentioned the uh, Bionic Bunny walkie-talkies, the Bionic Bunny binoculars. You know, some things kids would have, and if they wanted to do a stakeout, they would use. And also, <laughs> a uh, security van, like an FBI-style <laughs> <Yeah>. multi-monitor <laughs> surveillance van that i guess muffy's rich so she'd be able to buy it but it was like something out of the wire like they're also they have eyes in all these locations and direct video feed of like everywhere that dw plans to go i thought that was funny i thought this them tailing dw it reminds me of and maybe i just had video games on the brain because we have james on this episode but it reminds me of the france mission in mgs4 where you gotta follow that guy around yeah i remember that in the uh the european streets at night yes yeah Muff- yeah muffy and francine in the surveillance van with pres Belusky trying to get the trying to get the tap on dw <laughs> uh and so they're trying to catch her doing something unsafe but it doesn't really happen she finds an ice cream cone on the ground and puts it in a garbage can where arthur was just so happened to be hiding that so was, get a great um, image of arthur with a cone sticking out of his that face. was almost like a bait and switch at least it was for me because um i thought that was going to be the thing she does that was unsafe i thought she was going to pick that cone up and eat it that's what i thought she was going to do and then, then i thought everyone was going to have an opportunity to uh, blow the whistle be like that's not safe you could get you get sick from that but no that was a pretty good um a pretty good way of handling that for she picks it off it's like hmm this isn't safe like it really goes to show that she still has safety on the brain even when she's just out and about minding her own business picks up that cone puts it in the trash can and we get that little comedic shot of arthur popping out with the cone on his head and arthur's afraid that uh you know she'll eventually like deem everything to be unsafe and he picture he has an imagination of her at the ratburn rally uh, which, which for my money, it looks way more epic in Arthur's imagination than it actually turns out to be. It's like it, he's imagining it as like this twisting course on this like <laughs> treacherous mountain, and like Mr. Ratburn has like a starter pistol to get it to get it yeah. going. But then D- DW called in the authorities to safety up the Ratburn rally. Uh, and she comes in with like a megaphone and everything, which is Arthur's worst nightmare, I'm sure. And then it basically turns it into a neutered version of what it is. Like instead of two boxcars racing down this uh, this slalom, they are they now have to pull themselves to the finish line, and all of their uh, their like they've been safetyfied essentially. Their uh, boxcars. We get some great visual humor. I'll always. I always love a good snail gag where oh, these yeah. two snails are passing the cars to this show how slow the cars are going. Yeah, and they go, this <clears throat> is my kind of race. 
And then uh, I think DW even like starts getting mad at the snails. And yeah, she tells him to slow fast. down with the megaphone. I thought that was really good. And he, they, she even replaced Mr. Ratbird's starter pistol with like a little pop gun. And he looks super tired, <laughs> which I thought was great. But Arthur reassures his friends that she won't be at the Ratburn rally. Cut to, what do you mean you want me to take DW <laughs> to the race? Like the immediate payoff. Uh, and yeah, that that's that's what's up is that uh, mom and dad say that Arthur have to bring DW to the race because only he can take care of her tomorrow while they uh, go out or some such. But they are very uh, insistent that DW not blow the whistle uh, and not bother Arthur. And right before we change scenes, we get this awesome mean mug from Arthur, complete with like musical sting of like, you better not. So this is what James was talking about earlier about Arthur's parents being like, hey, DW, you're starting to be a tattletale. And it was like, hell yes. Arthur's parents are not down with stitches. Sti- snitches get stitches. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> don't go snitching on your brother. Like, let's, let's chill out with all the snitching. It's kind of weird because you'd think like a kid show no matter what it would always just be like yes be a tattletale like tattle all the time that's usually the kind of mentality a kid show has so i appreciated much like how recess looks down upon randall for just snitching 24 7 uh arthur's parents taking a stand and being like listen there's being safe and then there's being a filthy snitch and nobody (laughs) likes a snitch Well, Lucas, you may remember, and James, we had an episode recently where uh, uh, Arthur kind of c- uh, cut his cut his knee and was very reluctant oh, to tell his parents. That was my favorite episode. And he did. Yeah, when he goes to the junkyard and cuts his knee on like a can or something. Arthur's knee is what it's called, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. And uh, that was that was a recent episode of ours. And uh, the whole message of that was that DW got Arthur to tattle on himself. And that was kind of the instance of when tattling is good. But you're right, Lucas, this is the exact opposite of like nobody, nobody likes a snitch. Yeah, there's <laughs> definitely a, a fine line that I think Arthur is really good at making clear. Like, when is it good to do it? And when should you really just keep your mouth shut? Uh, so it is the day of the Ratburn rally, and Arthur really gets up in DW's face of just like, just like <laughs> stay over there and like stay out of our business. Don't blow the whistle. It's a, it's a, it's a little, it's a little bit mean. It's, it's very severe, but he is very anxious about the havoc that DW could wreak. Uh, by the way, hey, thanks for dressing up for the occasion, Mister Ratburn. You know, it's, uh, only, uh, it's only a rally that was named after you, but you come over here like you just woke up. I wrote down the same thing. It's weird seeing Mister Ratburn in street clothes. Like he's rocking the classic white tee, and I, on anybody else in this show, it would look that weird. But because we're used to seeing Mister Ratburn in his patented green and yellow suit, he looks really like casual with just a white t-shirt. On. He, that, he looks, that is that's something I didn't even notice because um yeah I don't know I didn't that, that didn't even strike me as anything I didn't even notice that but you're right you're completely right he I think he looks a little too casual Lucas this is like what I wear to bed in the winter <laughs> this is this is like kicking back on a Saturday oh yeah I've got I've got me some Sonic Mania to play so let me just uh, let me just veg out here and eat some breakfast uh kind of whoops that I'm wearing so, so speaking of speaking of video game references uh Arthur sends DW away and she immediately uses some Ubisoft logic and is like <laughs> yeah. I, I I gotta climb the tallest thing to get a better view right uh because she can't because she can't see for all the crowd she wants to be able to see the races so that if anybody is unsafe but in turn she is the one doing the unsafe thing as she mm. climbs this 
huge, huge pine, well, spruce tree or whatever type of tree it is, and uh, gets to the very top and is like hanging on with her entire body. And as it kind of sways, it's it's a little nerve wracking, especially when you pair it up with. Uh, there's one of the races that they do involves like a kid who made a go kart that looks like a biplane. And then, Another thing that reminded me about Diddy Kong Racing was that kid yeah. with the biplane go-kart. That, that's right. Uh, and so how it goes, the, the actual Ratburn Rally track is that it's like it's one hill kind of going down. There's like one drop and then there's a finish line at the end. And so this kid, like his his cart is falling apart and everybody's like, <gasps> like oh no, something bad's going to happen. But uh, but then it stops right as it goes to like the dip in the road. Everybody's like, oh. And it's, it's almost a little as if. It, well, it's it's almost as if like showing like this is the worst that's gonna happen. Your car's gonna fall apart and stop. <laughs> yeah, but it's a little nerve wracking. I, I gotta be honest oh, with you. Absolutely, absolutely. I was I was kind of like clenching my teeth, being like, oh no, this kid's gonna get hurt. <laughs> uh, but eventually, DW calls for help, and uh, Arthur is. I mean, everybody's very surprised. Buffy goes for help, and uh, they do call the fire department. And who saves DW from the tree but Officer Safety himself? A little bit of uh, coming back around there, and uh, as they get her down and the fire trucks kind of disappear, that's when mom and dad finally make the scene again. And uh, conveniently enough, they missed everything. So Ar- Arthur tries to kind of play it off and say, like, oh, some girl got stuck in a tree. And like I like, said before, I love that Arthur didn't snitch. This is another like example of, like, <laughs> even though Arthur was mad at DW earlier, he feels bad for her. He feels like he doesn't want her to get her in trouble. And like I said before, good on Arthur for being like, I'm not going to snitch on my sister. It was some girl. But yeah. like you like you said with <clears throat> DW getting Arthur to snitch on himself, uh, DW sort of learns the same lesson in this episode where she's the one who comes clean and says, it was me. I was the girl who climbed up the tree. One thing I noticed that like really struck me as weird is like there are there's at least one fire truck there and there are firemen there and the parents come over. They're like big smiles on their face, not concerned whatsoever. What, what's all the commotion about, guys? Uh, and Lucas, I will bring I will bring this up here uh, again. Back to Arthur's knee. Uh, that that James, where we where we discovered that it's a little bit out of uh, continuity because in Arthur's knee, which did air before this, technically, uh, DW mentions the time that she got stuck in the tree and uh, she kind of tattled on herself, which oh, is the impetus right. for Arthur to tell. So oh. this so this is it. This episode did take place technically in the timeline before Arthur's knee because this is where DW tells on herself. So it was Arthur not snitching on her that gave her the idea uh, for that episode. So interesting how that works, eh? That, that is very interesting. Arthur's parents very worried about <clears throat> DW, but uh, then Arth- it's Arthur's time to uh, get in the go-kart, which still looks pretty much the same. They went with that same design, and they're going to be facing Muffy and Francine, except... Uh, now, did you see Muffy and Francine's go-kart? Did you, like, you only see it for like a split second in the corner of the screen, but it looks like Muffy just bought an F1 car. <laughs> like, it doesn't... Like, um, um, the... Arthur's and Brains looks handmade. It's made out of a trash can. Muffy's just looks like a literal, like, not even a go-kart, but in a Formula One race car that she purchased. I'm like, oh, these guys are about to get creamed. I did not even notice that. That's awesome. Well, and they're de- and I think they're destined to win as well, Muffy and Francine, just simply because of the fact that Arthur and Brains' card is a one-seater, but Muffy and Francine are going down together, so they're going to have more weight. 
And an engine, supposedly. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't put it past them. I remember, uh, um, I remember earlier yeah. in the episode, Brain's talking about how he's like optimizing it to be as aerodynamic as possible. As, as I'm looking at that trash can, I'm thinking that's the opposite of aerodynamic. <laughs> <laughs> you need to draw. You need to draw some fins on there to lower wind resistance. You need to like get get a hammer and kind of smash it into a shape that's like remotely aerodynamic, but they don't do anything to it whatsoever. <laughs> Yeah, that would have actually been not a bad idea. They certainly could have tried that. Uh, and the episode ends where Arthur's about to go down. DW notices that his uh, his helmet, uh, his helmet strap isn't on. She goes to blow the whistle, but decides against it, and then just comes up to him, whispers in his ear, and he appreciates the fact that she noticed. And uh, I'll just note here that it wasn't a starter pistol that Mr. Ratburn used, as Arthur assumed he would. It's actually just a green flag. And they go down the hill, and who wins? We'll never know. And that's the end of that episode. All right, so uh, this is the part in uh, in our episode of this podcast where we talk about uh, the episodes, we the stories that we watched and what we thought of them. Uh, James, if you don't mind, I would love to hear your thoughts on uh, Love Notes for Muffy. I really enjoyed it. I think I thought it was a really good episode. It definitely highlighted parts of Brain's character that oh, I haven't watched all the episodes um, before this one, but based on what you guys have been saying, really seems like we got to see an aspect of Brain that we didn't get to yet. And uh, I always love it when you see a new side of a character, uh, especially when it's a character that's very, like, set in stone, what their deal is, kind of who they are, and then, boom, they just kind of throw something new about them at us. So, out of the two, that was the one I definitely thought was more interesting, because it was kind of more focused... Um, outside of Arthur's family circle, because a lot of episodes are either about DW or Arthur, but this one was focused on, like, um, well, I'm saying this, you guys probably have more <laughs> credit for, like, <laughs> saying that than I do, because I haven't watched all the episodes, um, but that's basically, like, what I remember, but I always really liked it when um, an episode focused on one of, or maybe more than one of Arthur's friends, like, in, entirely. Um, I remember Binky had a couple of good episodes, too, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, Lucas? Uh, I, I echo a lot of the same things uh, James said. I think Brain's crazy, over-the-top performance really carries this episode. Like, if it was the Brain that we had seen in previous episodes where he's like, oh, like, uh, some of the things I've been critical of Brain in previous episodes is that the, the writers kind of play him like Sheldon Cooper or something. It's like kind of a boring character. But I love this direction of this... Oh, like I said, maniacal, vengeful brain who's, like, so consumed by revenge he can't even realize that, like, his whole plot is falling around him. And I also really liked uh, that they put Francine in the role of sort of the person with the guilty conscience who wants to do the right thing. I think that's really redemptive for Francine because she's usually been the antagonist in a lot of episodes prior. I think it's a really funny episode, and I really like the twist ending that uh, Muffy, like, figured out their whole plot the whole time. I think this episode's really true to all the characters. Like, I think Fern, even though she's got a pretty minor role it fits her character the fact that she figures it all out instantly but she doesn't want to basically blow up brain and francine's spot because she wants to teach them a lesson i thought this was a really entertaining episode uh so not to well i will tip my hand for kind of both of these i i was kind of a bit more middle of the road on both of them 
but that's not to say that there weren't uh, positive aspects to, to both episodes, and I definitely think that the stronger of the two is uh, Love Notes for Muffy. Um, I thought I, I agree with what you said, James, and I think we kind of talked about it a lot, is that just the aspects of Brain's character that you would almost never get to see if it weren't for this particular situation I thought was uh, really interesting, funny, and uh, kind of kind of creepy at times. But I like that. I, I like that it was a, kind of a different way than you would want to go with, you know, your typical nerdlinger, brainy character in a kid's show. Uh, I liked a lot of the the, varia- the variations on the imaginations that a lot of the kids had in this episode. Uh, I thought those were a lot of fun, and of course I love it when we get to use rattles for basically anything. Although I regret he didn't have uh, didn't have as good li- a good a line as you old con artist, but you know maybe <laughs> on the next maybe on the next hey, go around we'll have. At least there. he didn't build. At least he didn't beat up a bunch of little children, <laughs> which is what was implied he might do. That's very true. Uh, I'll just quickly say about DW uh, blows the whistle. Um, yeah, kind of again, kind of middle of the road on this one. I thought it, I thought it was okay. Uh, there were a couple of things about it I thought were funny. Uh, like, uh, well, f- well, actually, what I think is more funny is Lucas's Judge Dredd comparison. I'm still kind of laughing at that. <laughs> uh, the 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 whole thing. It's like you know they kind of came up with this conceit of like DW with a whistle and obsessed with safety. Uh, which isn't, of course, out of DW's character, but it's like, okay, we kind of invented this thing for this one, this one-off episode, uh, for her to kind of learn a lesson, and all right, so so we're kind of done with this after this one. So it doesn't really feel like it means a whole lot. It's it, there's nothing wrong with it. I just kind of doesn't do didn't do a whole lot for me, especially when we kind of had uh, talking about a similar ish epi- uh, issue uh, in the episode Arthur's Knee, which I thought was uh, done a lot better but you know nothing 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 wrong with it at all uh lucas what you think of uh, dw blows the whistle i actually think i liked dw blows the whistle more than both of you guys did like i i actually really enjoyed both these episodes i thought they were both uh really solid arthur episodes but i actually think i liked dw blows the whistle a little bit more than love notes for muffy and oh, it might be really? just a step it, it might just be nostalgia clouding <clears throat> my mind because i do consider this one of those like classic arthur episodes i i have the imagery of like dw at the top of that giant tree like tattooed onto my brain but i i don't know i I really get a kick out of, like, the DW character, so her sort of terrorizing the house with her Judge Dredd-esque safety uh, rules, I got a really big kick out of that, and I always like Arthur in the role of these DW episodes as he's just kind of, like, a stooge or, like, just sort of a side character who's comic relief for DW. And so I like Arthur in that role. Uh, I'm also a sucker for all the race stuff, like I said off the top. So the idea of like, I, I, I remember as a kid watching this episode, I wanted to build a box car and all that stuff. It turns out it's really complicated unless you have a kit or something like to build axles and stuff. So I never got to do it myself, but I always really liked the race aspect of this episode, even though it's just kind of the setting for it. So I really do enjoy uh, DW blows the whistle and I do like how it all comes to a head and that it's got continuity with Arthur's knee um, yeah James um, I'm gonna go with you will on this one uh, I, I definitely thought it was a more middle of the road episode wasn't great wasn't bad uh, I definitely think the message of this one is uh, a little bigger than the actual entertainment value so I, I think it's a good episode for that I think it teaches like you know, good stuff for kids, but as like a entertainment piece, uh, I definitely got to go with the other one, the other episode. 
Okay. Well, we are at the end of our own episode here after all. Thanks a lot for joining us for this. Okay, so James, uh I'm I'm I got to I got to I got to ask here and hopefully won't be breaking any any rules here, but uh can you can you let me in on what the next Nitro Rad video is going to be? Oh, no. Yeah, I'm doing a video on <laughs> Eternal Darkness. This is not news. Uh everyone yes! a lot of a lot of people who follow me on Twitter usually know what the next video is going to be about probably like a week beforehand, but no, um I I'm done playing the game, done the script, done recording. I'm all just in the editing process now. I still got to record like the on-screen bits when you see me talking about it. Probably will do that tomorrow or the next day. But yeah, Eternal Darkness, that's what's coming up. I love Eternal Darkness. Same oh, here. I, I, I don't. Can't. I don't love the guy who made it though. <laughs> oh, oh, Dennis Dyack. No, uh, be, Lucas. I think be, you and I were talking about this uh, yeah, the day you yeah. were over here. Uh, Will, if you if you want, look up the many like. Oh man, Dennis Dyack is a guy who's uh, done a lot of shady stuff in the video game industry yeah. between um, suing most, Epic Games and Yeah, the and, suing and Epic Games is the most infamous one, but he's done a couple of other shady things. He tried to do this thing where he didn't want... He pitched this idea of, like, no news outlets ever, not IGN, not GameSpot, not Giant Bomb. Nobody should ever get to see a game before it's done. And that's a really stupid philosophy. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I've definitely heard that name in not-so-great context. I'll have to look up the whole thing. All right, I'm really excited. I loved your uh, Evil Within video. and Thank you. Uh, and I've And I've, uh, I've had great fun uh, since I discovered your channel going back and watching your Halloween reviews. I love it, I love it when a channel d- gets all Halloween-y. That's one of my favorite yeah. things. Um, I, hey, love, uh, I love to get uh, Halloween. Uh, not so much Christmas, but Halloween is my biggest, uh, most favorite time of the year, so I always like to do Halloween stuff. Sweet. Hey guys, thanks, thanks James for coming on. Uh, it was a blast having you on this episode. So much so, I feel like this happens every time we have a guest. Will uh, we went a li- we went a little bit long this time, so I won't be able to stick around for the outros. I have to head out. Uh, will I'll send you the audio file, uh, and you want to get James to do the uh, outro quote. Uh, but thanks for uh, hanging out, guys. James, thanks for being on the podcast. But thanks I got to head me. out. All right, so James, we'll make this one quick. Uh, so, of, of course, uh, in case anybody doesn't know by now, uh, please feel free to plug anything that you like. Um, well, basically, I guess Nitrarad is the YouTube channel I host. We kind of already mentioned what it was. I just, it's just a, I want to say typical run of the mill, but, you know, I feel it has a little more personality than some of them out there but yeah you know i just do game reviews stuff like that uh i try to make it a little more casual i actually uh, one thing i do about my videos is i intentionally put in a lot of verbal garbage i write like a script (laughs) um and when you write a script it's very like um uh, polished. It's not really the way you speak. So I really insert a lot of words between lines when I'm actually reading it. I put a lot of like likes, ums, ah. Uh, I put the word dude in there. A lot of or drop the word rad a lot. Of course, is something I've been trying to do uh, more recently. But yeah, that's that's what I do. And uh, if you want to see that and hear more of my voice, uh, check it out on YouTube.com. Search Nitro Rad, and you'll find me right up on there. And you're also on uh, Twitter as well. Oh, yes, you can follow me, uh, same as my YouTube username, just NitroRad, one word. All right, and you, and... It's it's two, it's one word in the handle, two words in the, well, actually, I'm, uh, I'm James is, like, the Twitter username, but the handle is at NitroRad. Right, and you also have, uh, Granicore is your, uh, is your other channel. 
Garanticore is our secondary channel. Um, that's more of like a for fun thing, because uh, not a whole lot of people watch it. Um, but uh, our, my friends Alex, Brady, and Brandon will get together sometimes and just do sketch comedy videos. Uh, we did a Dragon Ball Z one recently, where uh, Brandon wishes everybody was Dende, and then a couple of years later, Brady's trying to find the Dragon Balls again to try and wish himself back, and horrible things happen from then on. It's a, I thought it was a really good one. Garanicor is really funny. You guys should uh, check it out. That's uh, G-A-R-A-N-I-K-O-R. Uh, and finally, uh, James, I believe you also have a Patreon as well. Yeah, I have a Patreon for my YouTube channel. Uh, again, just Nitro Rad. And uh, that went so well, I was actually able to quit my retail job. And now I'm doing Nitro Rad full time. Hooray! Congratulations! I, I I remember seeing that on Twitter, so that's that's <clears> gotta be a, that's gotta be a great feeling. It is a great feeling. Um, being able to put so much time into videos, I'm able to get videos out so much more frequently and put a lot more time and effort and really make them better and not like bigger, but you know. Uh, really get that refined quality into them and i also get like a, a tighter more frequent upload schedule and that's just been fantastic right on so if you want to keep nitro rad's videos going then i would highly recommend you donate to his patreon okay so here's the ways that you can find elwood city limits uh online facebook.com slash elwood city limits on twitter at ecl podcast elwoodcitylimits.tumblr.com you can send us emails anytime at elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com uh if you'd like to follow lucas and i on twitter uh i am oh gosh what am i what am i on twitter i always you don't know your own twitter handle no well <clears throat> not off, not off the top of my head okay so my twitter handle is at WSY on air. I really have to change that because I'm not on air anymore, but WSY on air. And Lucas is at Lucas underscore Mancini. Finally, the ways you can listen to this show online, you can go to our main site, elwoodcitylimits.libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N. We are also available on Apple Music on under podcasts, so please give us a rating and review over there. Or you can also find us on the Google Play Store. All right, James. Well, unfortunately, uh, you won't be joining us next week. But, hey, the invitation is open whenever you'd like to come back. I uh, really enjoyed having you, getting to know you a little bit. And, uh, yeah, you are welcome back on this podcast <clears throat> anytime, my man. Yeah, absolutely. I had a great time doing this. I think this is a, a great idea for a podcast. Um, you know, just <clears throat> watch an episode of a TV show that's like highly cherished, a lot of people love, um, and then just talking about it. Um, I, I saw a couple other podcasts do stuff like this for like Archie and whatever, but I think Arthur is something that's really like uncharted territory when it comes to podcasts. I don't really see a lot of people talk about Arthur, yet I see a lot of love for Arthur. So I think this podcast is a really important thing. Well, thank you very much. Okay, so next week, Lucas and I are going to be back, and we may have another special guest on our hands. You'll have to wait and see. It's going to be Francine Redecorates and Arthur the Loser. All right, so one more time for myself and Lucas, we wish you good night. Uh, James, do you have any final words? Uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for having me on here. And, uh... Yeah, it's about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, for uh, myself, Lucas, and Nitro Rad, we will see you next time on Elwood City Limits. <laughs>